We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. Do you really mean that? Uh, yeah, so in other words, I'd start half a second late. Don't you think you really want to say July over the snow? Isn't that the fun of it? It's, it, if you make it almost when that shot disappears, it'll make my... I think it's so nice that, that you see a snow-covered field and say every July peas grow there. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. We aren't even in the fields, you see. Yeah, we are. We're talking about them growing and she's picked them. Yeah. On <clears throat> what? In July. I don't understand you then. When must, what must be over for July? Um, when we get out of that snowy field. When I was out, we were onto a can of peas, a big dish of peas when I said in July. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, always. I'm always past that. You are? Yes. Well, that's about where I say in July. Could you emphasize a bit in? In July. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Sorry. There's no known way of saying an English sentence in which you begin a sentence with in and emphasize it. Get me a jury and show me how you can say in July and I'll go down on you. That's just idiotic if you'll forgive me by saying so. That's just stupid. In July. I'd love to know how you emphasize in and in July. Impossible. Meaningless. I think all they were thinking about was that they didn't want to. He isn't thinking. Well, sir, can we just do one last Yeah. Moment? It was my fault. I should. I said in July. If you can leave every July. You didn't say it. He said it. Your friend. Every July? So after the show. No, you don't really mean every July. But that's a that's bad copy. It's in July. Of course it's every July. There's too much directing around here. Norway. Fish fingers in Nor Findus, Norway. We know a certain fjord in Norway, near where the cod gather in great shoals. There, Janste Stangeland. Shit. Fraction more on the wall, that shoals thing, because you roll it around very nicely. Yeah, roll it around and I have no more time. You don't know what I'm up against. Because it's full of, of, of things that are only correct because they're grammatical, but they're tough on the ear, you see. This is a very wearying one. It's unpleasant to read. Unrewarding. Because Findus freeze the card at sea and then add a crumb crisp, crumb crisp coating. Ah, that's tough, crumb crisp coating. I think, no, because of the way it's written, you need to break it up because it's not, it's not as conversationally written. What? Take crumb Take out. Take crumb out. Good. Here under protest is beef burgers. We know a little place in the American Far West where Charlie Briggs chops up the finest prairie-fed beef and tastes... This is a lot of shit, you know that. You want one more? Yes. More on what beef? You, you missed the first beef, actually, completely. What do you mean, missed it? You're emphasizing prairie-fed. But you can't emphasize beef. That's like he's wanting me to emphasize in before July. Come on, fellas, you're losing your heads. I wouldn't direct any living actor like this in Shakespeare. Well, you do this. It's impossible. Orson, you did six last year, and by far and away the best, and I know the, the reason. The right reading for this is the one I'm giving it. At the moment. I spent 20 times more for you people than any other commercial I've ever made. You are such pests. Now, what is it you want no, I think in your depths of your ignorance? What is it you want? 
Whatever it is you want, I can't deliver because I just don't see it. That was absolutely fine. It really was. You, you can't even work it. No money is worth working. Radio Drone. <sighs> I'm sick of Thursday nights with Cecil. Me too. Oh, at, at least the Marquis de Suede is back with us this week. He yes, remembered Cecil. He remembered to show up this week. Yay! Get last time I had stuff come up. Do the Adam and Eve promo, Marquis, or should I say Giant Tie? Okay, go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, and you get 50% off a single item... Three free DVDs, free shipping in the United States, and a free mystery gift. Now, what we're going to be talking about tonight, and I know Cecil and I are going to fight over this first example. When someone in Hollywood, when someone in movies, they were a big name. They were the studio's go-to person. And then, whether it's through a couple of bombs in a row, outside influences, something that's not their fault, they fall out of favor. For instance, Peter Hyams. I, I'm a big Peter Himes fan. Star Chamber, Outland, 2010, Running Scared, Time Cop, Capricorn 1. He's got so many great movies. And then I saw the trailer for his new movie, Enemies Closer. This looks like a $5 bargain bin Walmart direct-to-video film, which is what it is. It's, not, it's getting a token theatrical release. And it made me think, what happened from making multi-million dollar epics at Paramount, MGM, and Universal to direct-to-video films that are just going to be forgotten in a week. Well, I don't think Enemies Closer looks bad at all. And you know what? Direct-to-DVD, that doesn't make it less of a movie. So it doesn't get a theatrical release. It's still a movie. It's still being distributed. But what I'm, what I'm talking about, Alex, is how you go from being the theatrical big boy to this being direct-to-video, his last movie being direct-to-video, and his last real piece of work being a TV pilot that you know, got canceled right away. It's like, how did he fall from the Presidio and Stay Tuned and Time Cop, the relic end of days, into direct-to-video? What happened to Peter Hyams that he kind of lost his studio cred? He kind of struck out with Sound of Thunder. That's what I'm going to say. That and The Musketeer and The Relic. I mean, hell, of his last five films, End of Days was the only one that made money. So are we going to that old Hollywood adage, you're only as good as your last hit or your last flop? Yeah, uh, The Musketeer had a huge budget, too, and that flopped hard. It did. That, that, Sound that of Thunder flopped hard. Relic flopped hard. End of Days made money. Sudden Death just about broke even. He, By the time the mid-'90s came along, Hyam's track record was... Not too well. You know, it happens. To defend the relic to a certain degree. The relic is not without its flaws. The biggest of which be being that they decided to shoot the whole film in the dark, apparently. Or that Michael Madsen looks like he doesn't want to be there. You could say that for a few Michael Madsen movies where he's just like doing it for alimony payments or whatever. But it's, it's a cool movie if they would have 
just if they would have actually shown like I'm all for taking things and kind of hiding them and not always showing you the monster. But there comes a point where you're watching the film and you can't see anything that it gets it just gets really old. So it's for whatever reason, the the relic is one I haven't delved too far into, but I think that they might have had some of their budget cut, which is why they had to kind of cover things up more than they wanted to. But that's a whole other issue. Enemies Closer movie, I I think looks badass. Charlie McMullen and I are the only ones that thought this looked like crap. I know we're on the outs on this one, but it really did not look good to me. I don't think it looks like, I mean, I've seen a lot of cheap uh, direct-to-video movies, and this one I don't think looks all that bad. I like doesn't look cheap at all. I think it looks pretty decent. And you know, need I remind you, direct to video isn't a death sentence. I mean, there are a lot of really high quality movies that the studios have put together that for one reason or another they screwed up and they decided to put them direct to video. I mean, Trick or Treat was direct to video. Frozen, Dog Soldiers were direct to video movies. Trick and or they... Treat was not meant to be. Trick or Treat was a big theatrical push until was it paramount or whoever it was decided that the movie was too weird for them but that's what i'm saying is that but the general public doesn't know that so that's why like direct-to-video isn't the kiss of death like it was a while ago it used to be where if a movie was direct-to-video it was either a low budget piece of crap or it was just something that wasn't uh, a high profile enough thing to go you know to go theatrically but now there is a lot of quality that is just going it's cutting out the theater altogether and going right to the audience as far as uh, peter hyams's career it, it's just it, it sometimes when when there's a, a bunch of movies that come out in a string that just they underperform and the there's so many different facets that go into it. I know I've mentioned him before, but John Moore has continuously failed. And yet he keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger productions. And they keep failing harder and harder and harder. So in that case, it doesn't even like that kind of goes against everything that we've thought. It's like, all right, well, if you have a movie, you know, if you have a few movies that come out that underperform, well, obviously you know, they're not going to back you as much. They're not going to give you uh, the higher profile stuff. But in the case of this guy, he he fails over and over and over again. He's yet to have a movie that is successful. And yet he's given the freaking keys to die hard. And I'm sure his next movie is going to be even bigger. But then what about something like like a Paul Schrader? Paul Schrader's new movie didn't even come out direct to video. It was straight to VOD that it was ignored. He had a long, ongoing blog series of his struggles to try and get this movie released. No studio would touch him. Basically, his name had become poison. One of the studios, I think it was MGM, they were into the movie, and they were interested until they saw directed by Paul Schrader. And they were like, oh, no, Paul, Paul's dead to us. We don't want anything to do with Schrader. Do you think you just get to a point where you're such a troublemaker in a good or bad way? That you screw yourself? Wait, Paul Schrader's last movie, are we talking about The Canyons, which was, like, hated by everybody? doesn't matter whether it was any good or not. <laughs> it, it, the one with uh, uh, Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, that, that yeah. movie was apparently awful. Yeah, I, I know. But I'm just saying, Paul Schrader, when he's making movies that are direct to VOD, that's a hell of a fall, isn't it? He didn't have... Yeah, that is. Cat People was great. 
and then he's fallen away. It's a shame when that happens, Josh. Well, the the thing along with that to kind of show how far he's fallen too, the Canyons was a Kickstarter movie. So he didn't even get the majority of that film produced through. Oh, yeah, he, he couldn't. No one wanted to fund it. Yeah. So, because his so... name has become Poison. So he went through the Kickstarter community and, uh, you know, managed to get the thing made. Uh, I don't know how much beyond because uh, I don't think he got that much from Kickstarter that he was able to put the film together. But, uh, yeah, he he did that. And uh, it's it's weird the way that that Hollywood works, where you will just kind of you'll become a name and you'll become known as uh, either trouble or maybe you disagree with something like look at George Lazenby. He screwed himself by refusing to have his next movie be another James Bond movie. And because he didn't want to get typecast that early in his career. And what did the studios do? They blacklisted him. I mean, he was getting ready to be, you know, the next big star. I mean, he he had, you know, he had the looks, he had the talent. And had he have just done another Bond movie after uh, Her Majesty's Secret Service, he he probably would be you know known up there with uh, with Sean Connery today, but because he decided to not do it, he didn't want to screw his over his career. He consequently screwed over his career. But is that really his fault then? No, absolutely. I mean, Hollywood is a fickle bitch. They will. It's it's such a club, and they'll completely screw over your career for almost no reason like uh you know oh well th- this guy you know won't do this or this actress won't do this or and so uh don't hire them on this project and they'll just kind of fall to the wayside even after they've done a bajillion huge hits in a row like stallone uh in the 90s like stallone had so many hits and then all of a sudden he started making movies that weren't as financially viable. And then what happens? Eh, kick him to the curb. I mean, he had to reinvent himself through uh, Copland in order to start to be kind of taken seriously again. I, I remember then... I remember when Detox slash I See You was the first direct-to-video Stallone movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember everyone kind of reveling in the fact that Oh, wow, how far Stallone has fallen. He can't even get this movie released in theaters. First of all, it's a piece of crap movie. So that's probably why even the studios went, yeah, even with Stallone, we can't sell this piece of shit. Yeah, it sucks. It's it's so weird when they when they decide to do that kind of thing, because especially now when there are movies that come out where they're garbage and yet the studio will still plug them like they're this great thing and put them in theaters. And then they'll somehow end up being successful, even though everyone hates them. So, uh, yeah, Stallone, he's, he's one of those guys who he got lucky though. He managed to come back after, you know, like he, he basically came back twice more or less because he, he kind of bombed out in the, in the late eighties, like he was doing all the the he did you know Rocky four and and then Rocky five and ninety and then he started doing Oscar and Stop or My Mom Will Shoot and everybody was like oh god you know Stallone is making crap and then he makes Cliffhanger and it's huge and he does de- demolition it's still Man. crap though I I like Cliffhanger it uh it it had some really cool moments it wasn't as good at, it wasn't as good as Judge Dredd <laughs> but consequently. 
He did Cliffhanger, was a big hit. He did Demolition Man, it was a big hit. He did Specialist, which bombed. He did Judge Dredd, which bombed. He did Assassins, which bombed. He did Daylight, which bombed. And I think a lot of people were thinking his career was over, and that was why he kind of reinvented himself to be taken more seriously as an actor. And, yeah, John Travolta uh, had the same thing until Pulp Fiction came along. Exactly. Yeah, Tarantino sort of the, saved his career. Sort of the same thing with Robert Forster. Remember, Alex, when, when we did the Scanners retrospective, when we got the Scanners 5? I think it was Mike White that made the joke, God damn, why, why is Tarantino's resurrection of my career stu- still two years off? Because remember yeah. how goddamn bored Robert Forster looked in Scanners 5? I hated it. I hated it as much as Robert Forster did, apparently. Do you think that direct-to-video, when, when, you, when you were a big theatrical actor and you go direct-to-video, Cecil, you said it twice tonight. They reinvented themselves. I think someone like Jean-Claude Van Damme did that for the better. He seemed to take his waning theatrical status as a way to branch out. For instance, Replicant. Okay, yeah, technically it was theatrical, but it was a token theatrical release. 99% of people who've seen Replicant saw it on video. That was a real departure for him. Jean-Claude Van Damme as a serial killer. That's a big departure. And he just seemed to keep getting better and better in his direct-to-video stuff, where someone like Seagal kept getting lazier and lazier and lazier. Do you think that those two are both the yin and the yang of what to do and what not to do when your theatrical career starts to fall off? Most definitely, because Jean-Claude Van Damme now, you you wouldn't even recognize him as the same actor that was in, like, Street Fighter. I mean, he is really shown that he's capable and you know he's having a great time acting in a variety of different roles whereas steven seagal his career has just been god his direct-to-video stuff especially the past few years have been just the worst things ever he 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 won't do any of his own stunts he won't do any adr he he doesn't even seem to care for the stuff where he is on camera it's just like he gave up, but he realizes he still needs to pay his bills, where Jean-Claude kind of went, you know what? I'm going to expand myself as an actor. I'm in an... I mean, this year, Jean-Claude is a drug dealer. He is a villain in a Stallone movie. He's in an alien invasion flick, and he's helping a Chinese prisoner in a movie. That's kind of all over the place in a good way. He's really trying to become a better actor. Seagal is just resting and going I'm Steven Seagal. It looks like Seagal I'm it looks like Van Damme is still having a great time at his career whereas Seagal it doesn't look like he's happy at all. Like he he, he needs a hug. Jean-Claude Van Damme absolutely positively it, it reinvented himself and I'm going to go into it a third time with JCVD. If there ever was anyone who doubts the acting ability of Jean-Claude Van Damme Sit down and watch JCVD. It is a phenomenal film. He is absolutely incredible in it, and it's a good movie to boot. So that was the point of where he had been doing like cool direct-to-video movies, like you said, like Replicant, stuff that was not really what you would expect for somebody like Jean-Claude Van Damme, which was proving that he was really trying to branch out. And then he did that movie, and it was like, okay, absolutely pay attention to this guy because he's back in a big way and he's proven like 
how good he actually can be. I mean, he went back and he did uh, the uh, the new Universal Soldiers movies, which were really good. Uh, he did Assassination Games, which is a fantastic action movie with a great plot and just showing once again that not only can he act, but he can still kick ass. Whereas you said with Seagal, Seagal just stopped caring. Like if you watch um, Seagal literally got fat and lazy. He really did. I mean, even in the Glimmer Man, you could see how. I mean, they had to speed or half up. past dead. Oh, half past dead. <laughs> yeah, with uh, with because he was trying to. Uh, he did exit wounds a few years earlier with DMX, which was a big hit, and then he tried to do that again with um, that other rapper whose name eludes me, and it just was it was so corny. Alex, was that Ja Rule? That was Ja Rule, yes. Okay. Yeah, it was Ja Rule. That movie was bad. Uh, hey, was so that movie was not silly. even aight! He, uh, Seagal just got fat and got lazy, and uh, he did that, that vampire movie that he's barely even in. And, and which the he scene, also produced. Which he also produced. That he, I think that was just a way to try to, you know, hey, remember, I made a Steven Seagal lightning energy drink. But he seemed to be too busy just doing nonsense. Like he did that. He he put out the energy drink. He he had that cop show where he was the uh, he was the deputy or whatever. What about when an actor pulls what I call the Eric Roberts, where they're dodging in between indie stuff and mainstream stuff at the same time? And I don't know if it's usually they're doing that just to work or if they really need the money, but. Look at someone like Burt Reynolds when he did that Universal Soldier movie. Every behind-the-scenes story I've heard was he was a nightmare to work with because he absolutely thought this movie was below him. What about when that kind of thing happens, when you used to be a big name and you take the small direct-to-video film, but it's, I'm better than this, goddammit! Well, I hate when people do that because direct-to-video, you know, it's not a death sentence anymore. In fact, it's... Like I said earlier, it's not that it's any less of a movie. There's been great stuff that's direct video. And I applaud big theatrical actors that do a direct video movie just because they like the movie versus I need to pay a, a court settlement. If you don't like the movie, don't do it. I think it's bullshit. It's so frustrating when you have an actor like that who is clearly a has-been who thinks that something is up is above them or i'm sorry below them it's it's absurd it's like okay well if this is below you then you don't need to be doing this then we can easily get somebody else to do this who would want to do this so it's like i guess you don't need this paycheck and it's like oh wait what's that you do all right well then shut up and do the role if you are doing a movie even if it's a low-budget movie, even if it's a direct-to-video movie or something, and you are a legitimate actor, then it is not below you. The only way that if you are an actor who once was big and like now, let's say you're doing porno, okay, I can understand that being like, I don't want to do this. This is below me. That's that's something you know. That's that's kind of something entirely different. But if you're doing a legitimate production and you're acting all high and mighty get over yourself because there's a reason why you're here yeah like look at eric roberts yeah i was just gonna say eric roberts goes from the dark knight to sharktopus and yet his performance gets no worse he hell he looks like he's having more fun in sharktopus than he did in dark knight yeah the only time i haven't seen eric roberts look like he's having a good time is a talking cat 
Because I guarantee he wasn't. Yeah, but like the direct-to-video stuff versus the theatrical stuff, he's back and forth between them, and you know, there's no difference. It looks like he showed up to work every day with the same smile. Why? Well, I, I remember when Dead or Alive came out, and people were like, oh my god, I can't believe Eric Roberts would do a movie like this. But and he it, looked like he was having fun. Look at his performance in that role. He's how- reveling in it, man. It's he's he, not only is he having a good time playing a ridiculous villain. Oh no, he gets to work every day with incredibly attractive women. Oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> it's absurd. It's like, look, people, he's obviously having a good time, and like you said, it hasn't affected his career any. He'll go from A list to B, you know, or or he'll go from A movie to B movie, and then back to A movie. You know, he's at that he's point. He's one of those cr- few actors that I that that really is able to do that. I can't think of many other actors that can make a, a Batman level movie and then make two Roger Corman movies and then go back to a hundred million dollar film like The Expendables. There's not a whole lot of actors that can bounce around like that successfully, is there? None really that I can even think of. Yeah, I can't think of any like that either. Eric Roberts is really one of a kind. Maybe. He is, and- you know, you know, I, I personally think he's always been jealous of Julia, though, because she's never done a direct-to-video film yet. Yeah, but she sucks. She does. Oh, I can't stand her and her stupid Joker mouth. What about when you, you demand so much quality that you make yourself unemployable, like Orson Welles? Orson Welles was constantly, at the beginning of his career, demanding... Final Cut, he was demanding quality, and he was demanding that the studios stop rewriting and re-editing his movies. History has proven him right, because those movies didn't make a big splash until they came to video in director's cuts. Is it just, when you demand that level of quality, you can't work within the studio system? It's not that he demanded that level of quality, it's how he demanded it. Orson Welles was an ass to people. That's why they didn't employ him, because he, he, he pissed people off with his attitude. But in the end, his attitude was right. His insistence no, that you no. stop cutting the movies and cutting the ends off and reordering them proved to be right. No, his attitude wasn't right. What he was trying to say was right. Yeah, maybe this movie could do with this and this and this. It's just the way he approached the situation was a pretty dickish way to do it. That's why they didn't hire him. Not that he was right or wrong, just he was a dick. The The problem is, is that when you've got somebody like that who, I'm not going to deny, incredibly talented. He He's a visionary, and he saw the way that things should have been. And a lot of times when you get somebody who is that, I get, I don't know what you would even call it, that high level of artistry. They have very little tolerance for nonsense. And I mean, if you've listened to any old interviews, if you heard anything, he's just like, go to hell, leave me alone. You're all pests. And he's just like, I want to do this my own way. And he's somebody who, God, he'd probably go nuts now trying to deal with uh, the nonsense that goes on in the in the studio system. So, uh, I mean, and he was dealing with that crap. You just put a thought into my head, Alex. Orson Welles in A Talking Dog. <laughs> oh, you know what? He'd probably do it with all the same vigor that he did the Transformers movie where he's like, I don't know what I was saying. Well, th- that was twofold. One, he didn't understand it. And two, he was dying. Literally dying. He died 
before he even finished his lines. So he was literally dying. I think he has an excuse for Transformers. Well, if you've ever heard the footage of him where he's doing the freaking frozen peas. Oh commercial, my god, that is so fun! And you know what? The greatest the, thing ever. With the exception of the blowjob reference, Pinky and the Brain did an exact reenactment of it. Re- oh, that's, yeah, if you can, if you could tell me how I can say in July, I'll go down. I'll go down on, down you. on you, yeah. With the exception <laughs> of the blowjob, that also has what you were talking about. At one point in that, he actually says, "The reading I'm giving you is the correct one." So he's arguing with the director right there. I'm right. Leave me alone. Well, there's a point where you got to be like, look, this is Orson Welles here reading our stupid frozen peas commercial. Uh, all right. All right he's, he must be saying it right. <laughs> Did the you sh- ever hear Shatner attack oh, Sh- his director? Oh, yeah. Oh, what was it? Sa- sabotage. No, yes. no. Th- that was back on Star Trek. No, he was doing some voiceover for a Star Trek like 30th anniversary video or something and the director is like telling him how to do it and Shatner's calling him out. This is William Shatner and I would like to invite you to take a journey with me into the 21st century. So take the next few minutes and listen very closely. You'll be amazed at what you hear. Okay? Um, can there be a little more uh, excitement in the beginning? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. All right. It sounded like really laid, you know, really super laid back. Well, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm saying, uh, okay, uh, I'll try and do that. Let's do take two. <laughs> <laughs> this is William Shatner, and I would like to invite you to take a journey with me into the 21st century. So take the next few minutes and listen very closely. Um, well, uh, speak up. Uh, uh, and, and maybe you better do it, do it the way you hear it. Tell do it for me. No, I mean, just go ahead. Uh, this is William Shatner, and I would like to invite you to take a journey with me into the 21st century. So take the next few minutes and listen very closely. You'll be amazed at what you hear. Is that the way you'd like me to do it? Okay, I'll do it that way. Okay, ready. This is William Shatner, and I would like to invite you to take a journey with me into the 21st century. So take the next few minutes and listen very closely. You'll be amazed at what you hear. Okay, so is, did, I think that came pretty close. Are you making fun of me? No, I'm doing... No, no, I was... I believe you asked that, that was about the way you did it. I wasn't jesting. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I don't know. No, no, I, I insist. Now... What I want you to do is on pay. Is that satisfactory to you? No, because if your mouth were open, you'd have popped some pills in them. So, do the next paragraph for me, so I can get an idea of how you want it. This is uh, page two. Well, I, I don't know. I really don't want to because I think you, you actually have a better, much better. No, I don't think I do. I would like to hear you read the second paragraph, so I can, so I can do it that way. Uh, let me hear. You know, I really, you know, now I looked at the different things you did. I really like the first one. No, I like it better the way you did. Ah. I insist that you show me how to do page two. Oh, I, really, I mean it. Please read, play, uh, so I can get an idea of what you want. No, no, I'm going to do it the way you, you think it should go. No, I am going to do it the way you're reading it. Okay? 
I know you're here to see that I do it the way the company wants it, so I'm going to do it the way you read it. Well, but I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want you to do it. But you're telling me how you want me to do it. Well, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I am going to do it your way. No, there's no apology necessary. You, you know what you want. You know what you want. No, I don't. I mean, I, really... I mean, you come in here and you don't know what you want? Well, I come in here because I know you're a professional, I mean, and, and you know how to do it, and I'm sorry I even said anything. No, I am going to do it the way you want, every paragraph. And you'll send it back to town and you'll see whether, you know, I hope it's, it will please everybody else. As long as I'm pleasing you, that's all that matters. Mr. Sander, would you please, you know... I, I don't feel right about doing that, I really. Well, no, you felt you wanted something done on the first paragraph. I'm trying to do what you want. Okay, let's lay down the second paragraph. And I love that shit, but at the same time, if he's not doing it the way the director wants it, then he's being difficult. So I'm 50-50 on that kind of stuff. Well, what about like the whole Bruce Willis-Kevin Smith thing? where Bruce Willis basically just shut down. That was, from everything I understand, that was just Bruce Willis being a dickhead because he didn't want to do the movie to begin with. Mm -hmm. He did it, like, initially signed on as a favor and then realized that he didn't really want to do it and then just kind of was an asshole the whole time, which really, I got to say, hurts hurts my soul a little bit because I grew up watching Bruce Willis and loving the guy and then finding out now that he's an asshole just as like, oh... You, you never want guys who you admire to end up being assholes. You know what? I'm not surprised, though, that Bruce Willis turned out to be an asshole. Yes, I've been a fan of him, but you see him in interviews and stuff. Even before that, he does come off as an asshole. But you go back to look at looking at him like when he did The Twilight Zone and Moonlighting, and from what everyone says, he wasn't. Then after Die Hard. Yeah, those were the before his times. His ego was was upped by about ten times. It was when he became a movie star that he decided, "I'm better than Moonlighting. I'm better than Twilight Zone." Yeah, you get people like Bruce Willis, who that ego goes to their head and destroys them forever. But then you've got people that remain down to earth. I mean, everybody's gonna have a horror story about how terrible, you know, what kind of an asshole this actor is, because that's what Hollywood does to people kind of want to leave past friendships behind such as i don't remember what movie it was but in the 90s roger corman was making uh i think it was frankenstein unbound i think he was directing it and he wanted jack nicholson to do a cameo and remember jack, jack, he gave jack nicholson his start jack nicholson's like first seven movies are with corman and plus a few that he wrote and a couple of that he co-directed so Really, you can say Jack Nicholson owes Roger Corman his career, right? And when Roger was talking to him, Jack Nicholson straight out, and I'm quoting, you can't afford me anymore, Roger. Maybe I'm naive, but did the thought of ever doing a favor to the guy who gave you your career cross your mind, you arrogant shithead? That, you know, I can't do a day's work for you because I'm a big f***ing actor who gets a million dollars just to read a script. That's partly unions, though. Like, they won't let him go do a cameo for free. It's like, if you're going to be in this movie, your paycheck has to be a minimum of this because other actors and their union benefits. No, no, no. Look at the, the 12 Monkeys situation. Bruce Willis, Madeline Stowe, and Brad Pitt 
all were paid scale for that movie because the production could not afford them otherwise. And all three of them said, not only do I want to work with Terry Gilliam, I want to do this movie. So I will take the massive pay cut because this movie will be good for me. Otherwise, 12 Monkeys couldn't have gotten made on what those three actors normally get. That would have been the production budget. Or a case of, I know you don't like the movie, but the first G.I. Joe movie. Brendan Fraser was friends with the director, and he grew up being a huge G.I. Joe fan. Wanted to do the movie, but couldn't because of... uh, they couldn't. They couldn't afford to pay him, and uh, they, they, uh, this like his contract or whatever wouldn't let him do uh, do the movie. I forget the whole details. So basically, what he did was he showed up, he did the cameo for free, and he's not credited. So that was the only way that he could do this, like do this, and be in the movie and not have any kind of goofy, weird conflictions. I'm wondering think- if I'm wondering if that's the same reason that Bruce Willis has no credit in Four Rooms. It could be because a lot of times that's how you get around that kind of uniony nonsense where you just go uncredited. Yeah, because Bruce uh, Willis has no credit at all in four rooms, and he's got as much screen time as Tarantino does in that. That's probably what it is. As far as the Jack Nicholson thing, that's just him being an asshole. Like you really, you got to look out for the people who got you where you are. I mean, it's something like that. His career was big enough where if he had dropped in as a cameo in in a you know in Frankenstein Unbound or something that wasn't going to ruin his career and to to like want to get paid unless they the only thing i could possibly think of is that if they parted on really bad terms then i could understand him doing that if corman somehow screwed him over at some point then I could understand. It's Corman, so that's a real possibility. That's what I'm saying. That's why I brought it up. It's it's Corman, so there is a high possibility he may have screwed him out of a paycheck or did something really bad. So that's one where the, you don't know the whole story, so it sounds bad, but it might actually end up being Corman who's the asshole in this situation. No, that seems like a very likely scenario. Because it just seems to me that that sometimes. In Hollywood, like I brought up at the beginning of the show, you're only as good as your last hit or you're only as worthless as your last failure. Because you you, you look at certain directors and you go through their filmography and you're like, studio, 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 you know, $100 million movie and then a sharp drop off to a direct-to-video film. And you just go, what happened? And sometimes it's outside influence. Sometimes it's drugs. Look at, look at how many actors – completely lost their career because they became literally uninsurable that the movie we can't the insurance company won't bond you we want to put you in this but we can't like robert downey jr bounced back from that hardcore he did bounce back but that was a long bounce too it was and you know what i I defend him nowadays i'm I'm not a fan of his work or nowadays or who he is but when people are like shitting all over, oh, Robert Downey Jr., that chunky, I'm like, no, he's not anymore. He's good. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr., he was the guy I was going to bring up as well. He should thank his lucky stars and his agent and whoever, what kind of black voodoo they were able to construct to get him back in the industry. Because he came back like with a vengeance. Like His career was done. He was unhirable he was a junkie he was i think he did prison time then 
he he came like he started doing little movies here and there and then all of a sudden gigantic blockbusters and now he's getting just uh, absurd paychecks for doing iron man so hopefully uh he's got a good enough sensibility at his age uh where he's like all right if i keep doing this i will live a long and prosperous life and be happy or i could take all of these millions of dollars and do lots of blow and ruin my career again because if he if he blows up this time he's done like there i think that this would be the absolute last straw and i don't want him to fail i'm actually really happy that he because he's very talented so that he was able to kind of come out of this because you're like a Lindsay lohan or somebody is not going to be able to turn all this around i mean she they did that movie mean girls specifically as a vehicle for her to kind of project her you know into the spotlight and all the other girls uh amanda Seyfried. The, the the lead mean girl whose name is escaping me, the one from uh, Party of Five, like are all doing much better. And now Lindsay Lohan is in the freaking canyons where the only way she would get hired is if she acted like she was having sex with a porn star. And even then, if you read those Paul Schrader blogs I was telling you about, she was still a massive ego case, even oh, at that point of her career. Goddamn nightmare to work with where he was just screaming why did i hire her (laughs) yeah her yeah she's someone who is completely done i I believe that as well but then what about when the director does it to themselves i don't mean necessarily in the going crazy way but i'm not going to go too deep into it because i've talked about ken russell at length before but like ken russell after he screwed up altered states and cost mgm an extra you know i think it was four or five million dollars due to his pure arrogance he was stuck in TV movie hell for the rest of his career. He never made another theatrical film. Is that just, or is that unfortunate that they went that down that road? That 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 someone like Ken Russell chose to be such an egotistical douchebag that he tanked his own career, or did he get what he deserved? He was an ass. He got what he deserved. It's not like he was going to be right about it or anything. It's not like he was fighting for a cause. It's he was fighting for his own hubris. Yeah, it was his own ego and he was an ass about it. So, yeah, he kind of got what he deserved. In a case like that, like one has to wonder why they didn't just fire him and get a new director in there. I mean, was his his was Russell's contract ironclad to where the point of I have a uh, feeling because they were shooting on location, which was nowhere near L.A. I have a feeling he probably did all this and. MGM probably didn't see the dailies until it was too late. Oof, that's why uh, as much as as much as I always bitch about producers just sticking their dick where they don't belong, in some cases you do need to have that producer director relationship where you have somebody there to kind of be a checks and balances so this kind of nonsense doesn't happen. More than likely Crap like this is the reason why you now have so much garbage going on with producers being overly strict and not letting the uh, director's, you know, creative vision flow. Because whenever the director is like, well, maybe I want to do this, they're like, ah, Kent Russell. You know? But but in the case where it's written into the writer's contract that you can't change anything and you go, no, 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 I'm the director. I'm changing what I want. That's yeah, I agree. They should have fired his ass right away. As soon as he went to the actors behind the producers back and said 
I'm going to change things and you do my dialogue good. That should have been a fireable offense. But I think Ken Russell had such an ego because he'd had a string of hits up to this point. He had such an ego, and I'm sure the alcoholism wasn't helping with the ego, that he thought he was probably untouchable. But then, unfortunately, the Ken Russell thing, that's not always the reason. Alex, just recently on Live Nude Geeks, we watched The Swiss Conspiracy by Jack Arnold. That was his last theatrical film. After that, he was relegated not even to TV movies, to TV, Buck Rogers and things like that. Why do you think that kind of thing happens when a director makes quality product that doesn't lose money and then they just become unhirable like Jack Arnold? I mean, he had a career of almost 40 years. Do you think he just was getting too old to be trusted by the studios? I think he was getting too old to want to work with the studios. It's made by somebody that just didn't care anymore. Like, Boss Nigger had a loving hand, and then Swiss Conspiracy didn't. Yeah, I, I, I'm with Alex. I think it just he got to a point of where he was just too old, and uh, he just was, you know, one... I mean, TV, I guess, was less... TV, in the, TV in the 70s was one of those big step downs. Well, like nowadays when you see mainstream directors doing TV, that's not a step down. When you see Joe Dante doing a Hawaii five O or a CSI New York, that's not back in the seventies. When you used to make big budget theatrical films and now you're doing Starsky and Hutch, that was a step down. Oh, big time. Yeah. You're, you know, Oh God, you've, you've, you've lost when you, when you've gotten to that point. But like you said, now it's not as big of a deal because they can transition between TV and movies. And a lot of times what actors and directors will do is they'll do their theatrical movie and then maybe do a couple of TV shows in between movies. All right, well, I've got six months before, uh, you know, my next feature. What am I going to do in between there? Well, I'll do a couple of uh, episodes of CSI or something. Why not? Well, then what about when a director starts off well? And then just they, they don't go crazy. They just drop quality. Someone like DJ Caruso. Look at the Salt and Sea. He directed some of the really early S.H.I.E.L.D. episodes. And then he makes I Am Number Four. I like you just, Of course you do. And then you, you just wonder what the hell happened to DJ Caruso. Yes, technically he made a step up, but it wasn't the right step, at least to me. Well, in the case of something like I Am Number Four, on paper, it probably sounded like a home run because that was shortly after, you know, the Harry Potters and the Twilights just exploded. And they were like, all right, we need to take some of these other young adult novels and adapt them to the screen. And I Am Number Four had a really cool sci-fi take on the whole young adult, you know, in love stuff. And so it seemed like this would be the next big franchise. You know, we've got uh, a loyal fan base already built in. So let's get a hunky guy and a couple of good looking women and throw them in and, you know, get this done. And I thought it was a cool movie. I, I didn't read the books until after I saw the movie. So I didn't really know the differences. But I thought that they did a decent job adapting them. And I think what happened was by the time the movie was put together and put out, it came with the influx of all the other young adult novels that were adapted to film or things like Red Riding Hood, where they took, you know, a classic tale like Little Red Riding Hood and they made it into a freaking Twilight romance. 
and I think audiences just kind of weren't into it anymore, and they just then, didn't go. But then with, with something like DJ Caruso, he also made Disturbia, Eagle Eye. No one on the cast of Eagle Eye even wanted to make that movie, so I'm sh- I don't know how DJ Caruso was big into that. And it just seemed like, I don't know, it seemed like with DJ Caruso, he went from TV to movies, but that transition wasn't smooth. It, it was like movies were almost beyond his quality. Like he needed to go back to doing Smallville and Dark Angel and VR5 episodes, you know? The other thing too, though, is that when you go into the larger budget movies, you are under a bigger microscope. So, you know, doing uh, shows like The Shield and Dark Angel, you're going to get a lot more leeway and you're going to be able to kind of let your uh, creative side flow through. Whereas when you're doing a larger budget uh, picture like Eagle Eye or I Am Number Four, you're going to get a lot more studio interference because they're going to want to make sure that you're kind of staying within the mold that they want to. And he being is that he's just transitioning from TV into movies isn't going to be able to have as much say as far as, well, you know, this is the way that it should be. So I think that that kind of reeled him in and made his stuff safe. Well, I think another thing is because not everybody can consistently make a hit movie. And I think when you have a big name artist, people are expecting them to make a hit movie every single time, something that's going to be a name that's going to be critical success no matter what. And that's like what people were expecting from M. Night Shyamalan. And so, yeah, he had a couple ones that he hasn't matched the success that he did early in his career, which is why people hate him. It's not that he's a bad filmmaker. It's just that he hasn't matched what he did to start. I think audiences expect too much from a familiar name that, you know, M. Night probably has a few more hits left in him if, you know, people would give him a chance if they're like, you know what, we're willing to overlook Last Airbender and remember that you once upon a time did The Sixth Sense. Sometimes you have that with writers and that as well. And I don't even mean in movies. You have someone like, by the time David Cronenberg made Naked Lunch into a movie, William Burroughs was, was literally starving. He was not making any money. He was destitute. He had nothing. And then David Cronenberg decided to make Naked Lunch. All of a sudden, Burroughs is a name again. That William Burroughs was basically resurrected by David Cronenberg. You know, some people called him a sellout for those Nike commercials he made. But again, when you literally have no food to eat, I don't consider that selling out. Look at what happened. Even though Naked Lunch wasn't a big hit, it resurrected people's interest in Burroughs' books all of a sudden, he's getting residuals again that he wasn't getting before David Cronenberg. So sometimes it's even just the source material rekindles something with the public, even if the movie is not a hit. Because like I said, Naked Lunch, it basically broke even. It wasn't a big hit. I mean, hell, outside of nerds like us, who's ever seen Naked Lunch? Not a lot of people. I mean, I watched it because it's Peter Weller. So Hollywood, I think Cecil summed it up perfectly as a fickle bitch. Sometimes you can't tell when when everything's going to stop. Yet, everyone I know that is in Hollywood always thought it would never stop. Like, I know people that used to work at Canon, and they thought Canon was going to be around forever. And it was just one of those, oh, the doors are locked and there's chains on the doors. Okay, wasn't prepared for this. 
is that a myopic view or an or an optimistic view? Optimistic, you're they're, you're really hoping that it never ends, but the the downside is you could be signed on, you know, a big career making movie. You're you just got signed on to a hundred million dollar whatever epic, and you show up on set and they lost funding and the whole thing falls under its own weight. And so Hollywood is that that giant beast that everybody wants to get into, but it could end at any. I already bought a house with the money you were going to pay me. Exactly. So Cecil, since this show is going to last forever, I don't even think we need you to tell people where they can find you, right? Well, just in case, they can find me at goodbadflicks.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. And Alex is probably going to get fired relatively soon, but where can people find you right now? Why am I going to get fired? Fuck you, geekjuicemedia.com. You can find me at 1201beyond.com, geekjuicemedia.com, and contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Have a good night, guys. A dream of the past, now has to pack a gun Living beyond all means, red just rings on credit Overdrawn, the high price of freedom for the rich And illegal, where's our future coming from? Oh God, what the hell you showing me? I'm just a bitch, a branch of our society You're never gonna get what you want from me Dying in our land of opportunity We never have a say in anything Gonna watch tomorrow's gonna bring Living fear things that we saw Now freedom just is Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.